Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, welcome to Blue Ridge Church and happy Mother's Day. Thanks to those of you that are streaming with us, those of you that are here today. Uh, we sincerely want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. For you to take time out of your special day is great. We really appreciate it. And just as a way to say thanks to our moms, our moms-to-be, uh, the ladies that are celebrating their moms today, for all of the ladies that are with us today, we have a special gift for you. You can grab that on your way out. There'll be some volunteers handing those out. You'll definitely want it this week, all right? I guarantee you. So make sure you get that on your way out. But we appreciate you being with us today to celebrate Mother's Day. We kicked off a series last week called Cloud Nine. And in this series, we're talking about joy and happiness. And how do we have joy and happiness really in this crazy world that we live in? You know, I talk to people all the time. They want to know, what's the secret? You know, what's the key that I need to have joy in my life, especially when you look at what comes at us all the time, the negativity of the world that we live in. You know, you turn on the news, you look on the internet, you log on to Facebook. It seems like most of the information that we get is negative and people are simply looking for joy. So we kicked off this series last week and we're looking at the book of Philippians. And uh, if anybody had a reason to be bitter, if anybody had a reason to be angry and upset, it was the Apostle Paul, right? But he writes this letter while he's in prison about how to have joy and how to rejoice and how to ha have happiness despite circumstances. So the beginning of that letter to the Philippian church that we looked at, we looked at some of the keys to healthy relationships. Because we know that if our rela relationships aren't happy, guess what? We're not going to be happy you, you may find that out this afternoon. If mom's not happy, nobody's going to be happy, right? But we looked at some keys to having healthy relationships. And we also, just to back up for a minute, we said joy, having joy or being happy in life should never be the goal. We shouldn't make it the goal of our life to be happy. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be happy because if we do, then we're going to become self-centered, right? Life is going to become all about us. But if we'll live our lives the way that Christ instructs us, when we see these practical things in the scripture we can apply to our lives, if we'll do those things, then the byproduct of that is we're going to be happy, right? The byproduct is we're going to be joyful and we're going to be fulfilled. So we don't make it the goal, but we live our lives the way that the Lord instructs us. And then the byproduct is we'll be full of joy. So I'm going to read an incredibly long passage. You may have to elbow the person beside you just to kind of keep them awake as we're reading. But then after we're finished, what we're going to do is we're going to go through and we're going to kind of dissect this. And we're going to look at these practical application points that Paul points out that we can do in our lives to have joy. But Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30, if you want to follow along with our notes, they're on that Church Center app, or you can simply scan that QR code. If you're streaming with us, they'll send you a link to access those notes. But Paul says this, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that's happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. He's talking about everything that's happened to him in prison. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows I'm in chains because of Christ. 
And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful for me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. So Paul's not worried about these circumstances. He's saying the message of Jesus is still getting out. Now I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me in the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. And then he says, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. And a lot of you know this verse, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. And then he says, knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he's doing through me. And then he concludes with this, uh, this really this message of how to live. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved even by God himself. For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. You don't have to read very far in this letter to see how much Paul loves these people, and he cares for these people. And in this letter, he points out to them certain things that they should guard against that are going to rob them of their joy. At the end there, he reminds them of his pain, not, you know, oh, wow, look at me. I'm a martyr. I'm going through all of this for Jesus, but how he can have joy in spite of the difficulty that he's facing. Now, one verse I want to draw our attention to verse 27, because I think this verse is going to be key for this series as we explore joy and happiness and fulfillment in life. And Paul said, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. What's he saying? Well, let me look at it from a couple different translations. That's the NLT. Let's look at the NIV. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, we've got to be joyful. We got to be content. We got to be happy regardless of what occurs in our life, always focusing on Christ. That's so hard for us to do. 
You think about it, we have difficulties, we have problems, we have sickness, we have different things going on, different challenges in our lives, and a lot of times we take that on ourselves. We think, I've got this, I'm going to handle this, and when we can't handle it, we get discouraged, we get down, we get depressed, and we don't look at it with Christ in mind. In other words, we don't focus on Christ, and it brings us down. And I was thinking about this, okay, we're talking about this on Mother's Day, you know, the difficulties we have in our life and how we can still have joy. Moms a lot of times get this right. I mean, that's why we celebrate Mother's Day. Mothers are our heroes, right? You, you think about just the, the course of a normal day for a mom, and a lot of times things don't go right. A lot of times things go wrong, and they're, and they're juggling all these different things, yet mom tends to find joy even in the midst of the turmoil and the circumstances of raising a family. And I think that's because, you know, the greater purpose is to focus on what Christ says and what Christ has called us to do and always looking at things through his perspective. So learning number one today, I need to evaluate my trials through God's perspective, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what we're going through. Paul says we can be joyful no matter what happens in life if we will look at every problem, no matter how big or how small, from God's viewpoint. And when you think of joyful people that you know, or people that just have that deep down happiness that comes from God, they have a bigger view, don't they? They have God's viewpoint on a lot of things in life. Joyful people just tend to have a bigger worldview. When we don't look at God's point, when we don't focus on him and we only see it from our eyes, that's when we get discouraged. That's when we get frustrated and unhappy. And the truth is, I hate to be a, a Debbie Downer, but there's always going to be things going on in our lives. And a lot of times those things aren't going to be good. And what I found helps me is I, I try to focus on the fact that, man, God, you do have a plan. I might not be able to see it. I might not even agree with it, but you've got a plan. I've also found God can even take my mistakes and my sin and my mess ups, and he can roll those in to his plan. Paul knew that. That's why he started out verse 12 and he said, everything, everything that's happened to me has helped to spread the good news. So let me explain what's going on here. So Paul always had this dream of preaching in Rome, right? He was called early in Acts, you're going to go to Rome, and he's thinking about Rome. Rome was the epicenter, really, of the world. It's where everything took place. There was no other nation more important than the Roman Empire. So his dream was to preach in Rome. And I got to imagine he's probably thinking, you know, like I think about preaching today. He's probably thinking about, you know, thousands of people spread out in a field somewhere, and he's He's telling them about Jesus and how Jesus can change the life. Or maybe he's going to rent the, you know, the Colosseum. And it's just going to be flooded with people and he's going to be telling them about Christ. God had the same dream for Paul to preach in Rome, right? The same vision for Paul to preach in Rome. But God's plan was a little different than, than probably what Paul was thinking. God sent him to Rome via prison. And, and Paul had to have been thinking, uh, God, how, how am I going to tell people about Jesus if I'm in prison. But think about this. Paul 
is under surveillance 24 hours a day. He's got a guard chained to him all the time. 24 hours a day, seven days a week for, what, two years. Now, it wouldn't have been the same guard. They probably would have switched guards like every four hours to give that guard a break, and then another one comes in and is chained to Paul. Think about how much Paul talked to those different guards about Jesus. He told everybody about Jesus. You talk about a captive audience. You got somebody chained to you, guess what? You're going, to be able to sh- you're going to be able to share the gospel. If I could chain you to your chairs for two years, and you know, we just let you out every so often to use the restroom and continue, we could, do, we could do a lot of sharing of the gospel, right? So Paul may not have thought initially, I'm going to have any impact, but he's influencing this entire Roman guard. And there was tons of Roman guards. They're switching all the time and he's sharing his story. And he's talking about Christ. But the, the main impact that Paul had is, you know, he's, he's confined. He's confined to prison. And what does God do? God uses him to write a lot of what we have today is the New Testament. Right? He's got his attention. He inspires him to write a lot of what we have as the New Testament. So think of how many people today and back to Paul's time have been impacted by the Scripture. The New Testament, Paul's writings. Yeah, he could have influenced a lot of people preaching to big crowds or to big groups of people, but God had a different plan. And Paul's saying, man, God's plan was so much bigger than my plan. And even though all of these things have happened to me, and even though I'm in prison, and even though my life looks terrible maybe from the outside, the message of Christ is still getting out. That's why he was joyful. That's why he was fulfilled. He could see God's greater plan, God's greater perspective, much bigger than probably his perspective was. So let me ask you this. What problem is it that you face today, mom? Whether it's big or or whether it's small, I think we have to ask God, and any of us, we have to ask God to help us to see that problem from his perspective. And oftentimes when our difficulties in life start to drag us down and we lose that joy and we lose that happiness, it's because we're not seeing it from God's point of view. Look at what God was able to do through Paul's difficulty. Not only was he inspiring believers, right, through the New Testament and through, you know, the the words about what was happening within that prison, but he was reaching unbelievers, that Roman guard. Every four hours, he had a new audience. That's why he said in verse 13, for everyone here, talking about in the prison, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. Can you imagine what kind of witness that was? Right? So, so you've got all these guards who are experiencing Paul. They see his life compared to their life. and like, man, this, this is terrible. The guy's in prison. You know, everything's been taken away from him. And he's still praising and rejoicing this guy named Jesus. What a witness that had to have been. So learning number two, as we face trials, our attitude is often a witness to unbelievers and an encouragement to believers. How you handle everyday difficulty how you handle everyday problems, not only could you be an encouragement to another believer, wow, look how that family went through that, or look how they've handled this, but you could also be a witness 
to unbelievers. And I think a lot of times we forget that because we're so laser focused on our problem and woe is me and what's happening to me. God will use our problems for good. And the other amazing thing about Paul is he doesn't let what's going on around him control his attitude. He's still choosing. Remember, it's a choice. He's choosing to rejoice. He's choosing to have joy. And then Paul, starting in verse 15, he warns the, uh, the Philippian church about different types of people that they're going to encounter in their life. Three negative types of people and then one positive type of person. In verse 15, he said, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. And, and you think about people today that come after you because of jealousy and rivalry. These are the people that love to argue and they love to cause conflict in your life. Anybody ever met anyone like that? Yeah, don't look at them, but you have. And if not, whatever you're doing for Mother's Day, you'll probably be reminded of these types of people. They just love to cause conflict. They love to criticize you. And their motive, Paul says, is simply jealousy. They're jealous of you. Nothing is going to rob our joy quicker than those people that criticize us. Mom, you ever been criticized for the way you raise your kids or the way you dress your kids or what you allow your kids to do or what you don't allow your kids to do? Sure. Just remember, those critics, the motivation is jealousy. And here's the good type of person Paul talks about, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Who's he talking about? He's talking about his friends. He's talking about his co-laborers in the faith, the people who uh, want to share Christ simply because of love. They want other people to know who Jesus is just like Paul does, but he's simply talking about his friends. Our friends, the ones that walk with us through life, the ones that have our back, these are the ones that bring us joy. These are the good types of people that we deal with in life. And then the third type, verse 17, uh, Paul says, those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. There's gonna be a lot of people in your life and a lot of people in my life and work, uh, even in, in ministry, they're simply ego-driven. They're driven by their ego. They do it not for pure motives. You ever had anybody put you down in life? Of course we have. Oftentimes when people put other people down, they do it to build themselves up. You've seen it in your line of work. That is a joy stealer if we don't know the motivation behind what they're doing and learn to control our attitude and our response regardless of what they do. Often it's a competition, in life, especially in our country. Man, we compete over everything, right? We compete in the, in the job market for job status or for salary, you know, or promotional status or job title. We, we compete for bigger homes and, and better cars. Lord, our kids, we compete our kids against other people's kids. 
Don't judge me like that. You do this too, right? Oh, my kid's better on the baseball field than that kid. Well, my kid's an honor student. Well, my kid beat up your honor student. You know, whatever. We, we, it's all about competition. We compete over hairstyles and clothing and, and money and fitness and all these things. And all that does is distract us from our greater purpose, but it steals our joy. Critics rob us of happiness. Those that want to compete with us rob us of happiness. People that just want to feel better about themselves, you know, and they put you down, they take your joy. And then Paul warns of a fourth type of person, and he says, those intending to make my chains more painful to me. Those are the troublemakers. Those are uh, the, the pot stirrers, if you will. Somebody just came into your mind, right? That, that image, that's the pot stir at work, or that's the pot stir on Facebook. They steal our joy. And Paul says, if we don't learn how to deal with this, we're not going to have that ultimate joy and happiness that God desires for us to have. And, and, he, and you look at Paul's attitude, and, and sometimes you could read this passage and think, wow, he's, he's not being very humble, but he is. His attitude's remarkable. He's saying, look, I'm in prison. I'm down. I'm discouraged. These people are kicking me while I'm down. They're trying to get inside my head, but I'm not going to let it happen. I'm going to choose to rejoice. No matter what he was dealing with. That's why it says, but that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. In our lives, it doesn't matter what happens, the good, the bad, the ugly, we can still choose to rejoice. We can still choose to be happy. We do not have to let other people in our lives control our attitude. There may be people that are criticizing you for what you're doing. They're competing for what you're doing. They're tearing you down to make you feel better. It doesn't matter. If we focus on Christ and we choose to be joyful, we don't have to let anybody control our attitude, but how often do we? How often do we let the circumstances that are going on in our life and the people around us control how we respond? The other amazing thing about this is when you read it, Paul's life had a lot of bad at this time. There wasn't a lot of great things going on as we would measure the success in life, but the good news about Christ was spreading. Again, he was a witness to unbelievers. He was also an encouragement to believers. Let's see what else we can learn as we dissect this. Verses 18 and 19, he said, for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. That's so powerful. Paul says, I know you're praying for. Remember last week we talked about the importance of praying for other people and how encouraging that is when people are praying for us. He's saying, I know you're praying for me. I know the Holy Spirit's praying for me. And I know that God's going to deliver me. He knew God had a greater plan than his. And ultimately, that's what's going to get us through. No matter what we face, no matter the loss, no matter the heartache, we got to know that God's going to deliver us. That's his promise. 
We've got to cling to that. And that's why Paul was able to rejoice. Here's something else we can learn. Learning number three. If I stay focused on my purpose and not my problem, I can be joyful. If I can stay focused on my purpose in life, then I can remain joyful. We have to stay focused on our purpose, whatever that is. Picture Paul. He's in prison. He's old. He's thinking he's going to die. They're going to put him to death, right? They've taken everything they can away from him, taken away his freedom. He's not able to go to and from the churches or help people. He's confined. They've taken away his friends. Took away pretty much all of his ministry. They took away his privacy. He's got somebody chained to him 24 hours a day. But the one thing they couldn't take away from Paul was his purpose. The purpose for which God created him. Mom, there may be people uh, that are after you. You can't control what they say to you. You can't control what they do to you. You can't control how they're going to react to you. But what you can control is how you respond. You can control what God's called you to do. And so Paul here says, I'm going to focus on my purpose, even though they've taken everything away from me. So regardless of how the outside world or our so-called friends or our circle deals with us, we have to stay focused on the purpose that God gave us. You know, think about it. A lot of us would not have turned out the way that we turned out if our moms hadn't stayed focused on their purpose, right? We, we would have turned out totally different. And then in Philippians 22 through 25, Paul says this, which can be kind of confusing when you read this, but he said, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Paul had basically a purpose for living. And I think he had a purpose for dying as well. He knew that his purpose uh, for living was to help people to grow and develop and to reach people for Christ. But he also knew if he died, his purpose was going to be with Christ. And he said, either way, it doesn't matter to me, I win. If I stay alive, I'm going to help other people. I'm going to help people to learn about Christ and to grow in Christ. But if I die, that's even better because I'm going to be with Christ. You ever felt like that? Sometimes you're just like, man, Jesus, would you just come back? (laughs) Would you just go ahead and come back? I think we have to have a purpose for living, but also a purpose for dying, knowing for a fact what's going to happen to us when we leave this earth. We have to have our salvation secure, our sins forgiven, but that also in turn gives us our purpose for living today. We, We talked last week about how most people think joy and happiness comes from things, right? From from self-gratification. If I just get more money, if I just get a bigger house, 
if I just get, you know, a better car, if I just get a better job, if I just have more relationships, if I have more sex and more status or, or whatever, if I just get more stuff for me, then I'm going to be happier and I'm going to be joyful. It doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, self-gratification is never the way to the joy and the happiness that the Lord talks about. Self-sacrifice is, not self-gratification. And ultimately, that's what Paul is saying in this whole passage. Is, hey, the reason I'm happy is because as long as I'm alive, I'm going to give my life away to help other people. That's how we found true joy. He gave his life away. So I think that's a fair question that we have to ask ourselves. Am, am I doing that? Am I living my life for me? Or am I living my life on behalf of others to help other people? Because if you're living for yourself, you're probably not completely happy. You're, not, you're probably not fulfilled and joyful. So learning number four, joy comes when we give our lives away. And listen, until we understand that principle, we're not going to be completely happy and joyful. We're, yeah, we're going to have spurts of joy. We're going to have spurts of happiness. But ultimate joy comes when we make life not about us. When we're willing to sacrifice in the little ways and the big ways for the sake of other people. You remember where we ended last week? 1 John 3.16. We know John 3.16 but 1 John 3.16, for we know what real love is, right? Being willing to lay down our lives for others. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to take a bullet for somebody, but you're willing to do whatever for other people. Paul summed up his purpose in verse 21. He said, for to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. Why well, was dying better? Because he was going to be with Christ. So let me ask you this. Let's say somebody comes up to you and they say, I want you to fill in that blank. Fill in that blank. What would you fill it in with? For to me, living means blank. Mom, is, is that blank for you? For to me, living means my kids? Or maybe for to me, living means entertainment and excitement? For to me, means, living means sports, you know, golf and, and, and football and baseball. For to me, living means my job and my career. There's a lot of good things that we could fill in that blank with. All of them good things, but none of them deserve the place of Christ. For to me, living means living for Christ. And how we fill in that blank is going to determine how joyful we are in life. For to me, living means money. We're not going to have complete joy. For to me, living means success. We're not going to be completely happy. For to me, living means fame and, and, and pleasure and possessions. There's nothing wrong with those things. They just don't deserve first place in our life. See, God has a far greater purpose for our life. That's why he said through Paul, for to me, living means living for Christ. That's the only answer 
that's going to allow us to have complete joy and happiness. So regardless of what we're going through, regardless of what we're dealing with, regardless of the struggles, we have to start seeing things through God's perspective. Because he does have a greater plan. And if we live for Christ, like Paul did, we're going to see the greatness of God's plan. Let's pray together. God, I just want to thank you again, Lord, for our moms and for the impact they've had on our lives. And God, I realize there's people watching, there's people here that may not have had a great relationship with their mom, but you still use them to bring us into this world. And for that, we thank you. God, help us to see that our circumstances, our problems, our difficulties, they're not going to determine our happiness. But how we handle those things with you is going to determine our joy. Lord, starting today, help us to, to really see the difficulties and the problems that we have through your vantage point, through your eyes and through what we know about you. Lord, help us to maintain our attitude no matter what we're facing, knowing that there are certain types of people that are just going to try to bring us down. They're going to criticize us. They want to compete with us. They're jealous of us. And if we're not careful, they'll take our joy. But if we stay focused on you and live for you, we'll have ultimate joy. Lord, thank you for these folks. Each and every week, Lord, we come together to not only grow and be encouraged, those of us that are following you, but also to help those that aren't. Lord, we understand and you understand everybody's at a different place on the spiritual journey. Help us as we live our lives, as we tackle issues in our own life that not only can we be an encouragement to somebody else, but we can point somebody who doesn't know you towards you. Lord, thank you that we can have joy and happiness on this earth. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Really quick, just a reminder, on your way out, make sure, uh, ladies, you grab that gift that we have for you. Also, there's a couple of different areas in the lobby. If you want to take a picture with mom, kids, don't roll your eyes. There, there's the the, the backdrop that has the balloons on it. And then over there near the fireplace, there's another Mother's Day backdrop. So if you want to take a picture uh, with mom, please do that. I hope you have a terrific Mother's Day. Moms, thank you for being here. Thanks for everything you do for us. God bless you guys.